You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. I want to go back to the uh, North Stars run to the Stanley Cup Finals in 80-81. But, you know, in doing that, Lou, I think we actually have to go back to the end, at least, of the previous year, right? Because th- that's where the momentum really began for that team to take off. Right. We, uh, you know, we, we had a pretty good year the year before. And uh, we had a lot of young guys that we had drafted in 78 and 79, and the team started coming together. And so... Uh, when you look at it, even though we we didn't end up very high in the standings the year that we went to the finals, but we were really starting to come. And the, probably the, the the key was the big fight in Boston of that year before the end of the season. We've never, in the history of our franchise, had won a game in Boston from 1967 to that time. And that's when we, uh, you know, had the huge fight that day of the game summer. So I think we got to make a statement where we, Go ahead and do it. And so we were in Boston right near the end of the year. We knew we were going to play Boston because we were sort of locked in. They were locked in. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> we had the, um, the fight starting about the six-second mark with Bobby Smith. And by the end of the game, I think we had five guys on the bench, and they had six guys on the bench. <laughs> and we ended up losing the game, but that, that really turned it around because then we went in the playoffs. We had two games in Boston. Mm-hmm. It was three out of five then. And we beat Boston two games in Boston, and then we won our first home game. We put them out three straight. So the uh, date of the loss, which actually the game in Boston was February 26th, 81, and it was a 5-1 loss, Lou. Uh, take us through the events, though, because you, you referenced the fact that Glenn had told you and I think the team that it was time to make a statement about going into the garden and not being pushed around. If I recall the story correctly, you were in Western Canada scouting. Is that right? Yeah, I was in Victoria, British Columbia scouting – Barry Peterson and Brad Palmer at that time. And, uh, you know, and it was funny because Boston's head scout is Bart Bradley from Vancouver, and he was at the game too. So, you know, there's a three-hour difference, and the game in Boston is at 7 o'clock, and and that means it's 4 o'clock in Victoria. So by the time our game started, it was 7 o'clock out there in Victoria. So at the end of the first period, I go down, and Brad Barbie said that did you get the final score of our game? I said, No, it's not over yet. And I didn't know. <laughs> it wasn't over. What do you mean it's not over? He said, Louis, you know, it's quarter eleven there. I said, It's gonna be a long one today, Bart. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, We need to be a long one. I said, I got a hunch it's gonna last a long time. <laughs> so, so it did last a long time. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, the there's fights, there's suspensions. We didn't get any suspension, but we got fined. And and the reason why, because Ziegler called me the next morning and said, what do you guys think you're doing making mockery of the league with that stuff? He said, I want you and Son were in here for a hearing. And uh, I said, well, bring Simmons and Cheevers so we could finish it out at the management level. <laughs> we're not done yet. <laughs> I'm not having any of that. That's it. You're fined twenty five thousand dollars, so he fined us. 
you know, for our part in the brawl. And, and uh, at the end of the game, I don't know if you know this, but Glenn was so fired up. And when he gets fired up, watch out, because he, he just takes no prisoners. So when he's going off the ice, you have to walk across the ice in the old Boston Garden, and you walk right through where the Bruins bench was. Mm-hmm. And he's coming across the ice screaming, Cheevers, come on down here, because I'm going to send your head home in the basket. <laughs> just... Wow. So everybody, I mean, it was a wild, wild night. But uh, the guys felt good about themselves, and 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 they they just showed that uh, no one's going to push them around, and they really started believing in themselves at that time. And, and I, I, that was really the key to our growth as a team, believe it or not. Yeah. Because all of a sudden, there's a bunch of young guys that knew they were talented and could see they could be talented, and and, and they could see that. You know they weren't going to be pushed around, so it was it was significant. So, for lack of a better term, Lou had Glenn so, uh, sort of asked your permission, or how how did he sort of go about f- formulating the fact that if if you guys were, were going to have a success against this franchise, something like this n- needed to happen? Well, yeah, he asked my permission. He said, uh, you know, it's time we made a statement. We, we you know we have one game in here, and and we got to show we're not going to get pushed around. So. Uh, tonight, it doesn't matter if we win or lose. Uh, he said, I just want to make sure that the guys know that no one's going to push them around, so I'm going to tell them we got to take them on right away. So mm-hmm. we're in it. It's not a problem. So we didn't. And I told Ziegler when he called me at the time, you know, during the year I was, I was saying that you don't need stage fighting in the game. You don't need fighting in the game. You, you, you can have contact without it. Sure. And and uh, and and I at one of the meetings I, I said that to Ziegler, and I says, "Well, you know, I said, John, this goes on. If you guys want a war, we're going to give you a war before it's over." Mm-hmm. So when he called me that day to you know to tell us that we were going to have to go in the office, I said, "Remember what I said to you? I promised you a war. Well, you got your war." <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he was very upset with us. I'm sure he wasn't too happy. Uh, no. How, how instructive was it too, Louis, that that as you referenced before, I believe it was seven seconds into that game, it was Bobby Smith who fought. So it wasn't yeah. like you it wasn't like you sent a goon out for a staged fight. You actually had a guy who didn't fight a lot almost immediately get into a fight. Well, you know, one thing about Bobby Smith, uh, Bobby is really a leader in all kinds of ways. He wasn't he wasn't only a great hockey player. He was a leader, and, and he, he would do anything to win. And and when Sonmo was telling the guys that uh, anybody looks at you cross-sided, take them on. And and so right off the face-off, Casper hooked uh, Bobby Smith or gave him a shot, and that was it. Bobby just dropped his gloves and went after him. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Bobby was showing the guys in that. You know, somebody's going to start it all started. And, and he... he He's he's just a complete competitor in all ways. You think of Bobby always having the puck, being an offensive guy. Well, he'd stand up for himself, and he he get hit a lot, but he wasn't afraid to hit back. Or you know, he knew you got to be a complete player, and he was not at any time. Not only that, I mean, he he took on a lot of tough guys. Like he took on Fraser from Chicago, and, and he took a he took a beating that time, but never stopped him. I mean, Bobby. Bobby was really, really, uh, uh, I think, very strong mentally in his overall aspect of uh, 
looking at the game, playing the game, and, and being willing to do whatever it took to win a game. Is the story true that I've heard that Glenn actually before the game in the locker room had had the perspective you take uh, him on the chalkboard? Yeah, and it wasn't you take him. He was, he was just comparing the guy. Look, you you could beat this guy. You could beat that guy. You know, and he was just he was he was just laying it out to the guys that uh, there's nothing to be concerned about here. You know, and we had a, we had a tough team. You know. We were a skilled team, but people don't realize, you know, for a long time there, from the early 80s on, we had really a tough team. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of tough guys on our team. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had Jack Carlson, Smear, Mandich, Richter, uh, McAdam. I mean, we had a lot of tough guys and strong guys like Payne and Smith. And, and uh, you know, when you looked at who we had, I mean, we really didn't have to take a backseat to anybody. Bob Rouse, and we had a lot of yeah, a lot of tough guys. Now, have have you gone back, or did, did you go back shortly after that, after that game, since you were scouting at the time, and get to watch it? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> How proud were you as you watched? Because I mean, that was as, as you as you've said, that was a very important statement for that team to make at that time. Well, you know, I, I just was proud of the way the guys responded, and, and uh, <clears throat> sort of set the table, and. and you know, when when you do something like that, and, and in those days, that that's the rules allowed that. You know, and you have yes. guys jump in fights, and where you don't have the second man thrown out and all that stuff. When you when you do that, the other teams in the league take note of it. You know, they know that all of a sudden, hey, these guys aren't fooling around. They're not somebody who's going to. I mean, even a guy like Brad Maxwell, Brian Maxwell, we had so many guys between seventy eight. And uh, 80, 85, 86, there were really not only good hockey players and talented players, but very, very strong guys and good fighters. And, and uh, I think it wasn't only a statement for the team itself, for them individually and, and collectively, but it was a statement to the other teams in the league that might have thought for a while that North Star's their team might push around. Well, you ain't going to push them around. So then, as uh, we just talked about, too, you go into Boston then for uh, the first game of what was a uh, best three of five at the time. And, and after, since you didn't win the brawl game there, though, in game one of that playoffs, you win 5-4 in OT. What was the feeling like, the relief like to finally win a game there? Because, I mean, that is a remarkable stretch to go from 1967 to 81 without a win in a building. Yeah, this. <clears throat> It's not like we played there a lot either. You got to sure. remember we, we only played there twice a year. Sometimes might have even been once, but it was twice at the maximum. But and, and especially since we were able to beat them back in Minnesota a lot. But uh, uh, it, it it just was uh, uh, significant. There was such a, a complete uh, competitive game. I, I can remember I was sitting with, believe it or not, with Kevin McHale. He, he was playing with the Celtics then. I don't know if he remembers it because he's sitting in the in the crowd too, and I was sitting in the crowd, not the press box. Okay. And 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 all the and Kevin was cheering for us, and he's the big Celtic hero, and all the guys in the crowd is giving him a lot of crap about cheering for us in the game. <laughs> but uh, it, it it was uh, something that you could actually feel uh, not only a relief but uh, a sign of a, a belief. You you had belief now that hey this team is 
is capable of beating these guys in a, in a special team. Mm-hmm. And especially when you you go in there and everybody, if, if there were if there were odds on that game in Vegas or something, I, I, we probably would have been a fifty to one underdog. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. So you so you sweep them then in three games, Lou. Uh, is it at that point that you thought playoff wise that this might be something special? Well, I don't think I ever gotten myself ahead of ahead of myself thinking it might be something special. I just I knew we were really good. I knew we were talented. We really had a good hockey team. Then we had to go play in Buffalo. And Scotty Bowman's uh, coaching Buffalo, and they got uh, you know a hell of a team in Buffalo too. So, so I'm thinking. And then you have to remember, I believe we were 16th that year, so every series we opened was on the road. Mm-hmm. And and so I'm thinking, God, if we can only win one one game in here to get nice advantage. And by the way, in in the first three series, we won the first game every time, and that's the game you usually get to steal in the playoffs. So that was good. So we beat Buffalo, and and then then I'm thinking, oh, we got a chance here because now we're going to Calgary. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, Calgary was a strong physical team, but they were slower. They were a slower team. And and uh, what I did is I put the team up in Banff at the Banff Springs Hotel instead of Calgary, which means we had about an hour and 10, hour and 15-minute ride down to the rink for practice, back up there and back down for a game if we won. And I did that because when you're in the playoffs in Canada, and especially all our kids, Basically, we're Canadians, except Broadman and Broadman, Christoph. We went at two, three Americans. So they're nuts at that time for for playoff hockey, and they're bothering the players for tickets and all that. And Montreal had done this for years, and that's where I picked it up. I learned it from Montreal. They always, even in Montreal, they moved their team away from town, away from anybody's interfering. So that people wouldn't be bothering about tickets about how the kids are doing or anything. Just focus on the game. So we were up at Banff Springs Hotel to get out of Calgary, which our our team really liked. It was just like being, you know, in the winter vacation, and uh, they really bonded well. Guys were enjoying it up there. Mm-hmm. And the night before the playoffs started, uh, we had a big dinner, of course. And uh, the one thing I did do, and I. And we had a team meeting, and I got up and I says, "Okay, I want you guys to pay attention to me about this thing right now, because this is one thing that I'm I'm adamant about, and I'm not changing." And Calgary had Platt and uh, 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 Kenny Houston and uh, uh, a few other guys, big guys, strong guys, Plinsky, and I said. I look at Calgary's team, and I look at our team, and I really believe we're much more talented than they are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if I'm Calgary and I'm looking at our team, we're faster and more skilled. But they think they got to be as tough a team as there is. And uh, I said, so here's the deal. Nobody gets in the fight. Nobody gets in the fight. And nobody gets uh, in second man in or thrown out of the game. I said, if anybody gets in a fight, I'm finding you a hundred bucks. 
And Paul Smear jumps up. He says, how could you say that? We stick together. We're a team. If anybody tries to push the run, I say, no, 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 no. This team can't beat us. Calgary can't beat us without fighting. They have no chance of beating us if we get in a fight. I don't care. You take a punch in the face. You do whatever you can. You just don't retaliate because if they don't get us off our game, we're going to win. We can win this. So I'm telling you, I'm fighting anybody gets in the fight. Okay. And if you get in an extra fine, you know, coming off the bench and, and when it gets in the thousands, in those days, the team used to pay out fines, the fighting fines, mm-hmm. which you can't do now. I said, so if any of those fines come thousand, you're paying no fines. So that was it. So we, you know, as much as they tried to antagonize, antagonize us and intimidate us, we didn't. And we beat them. And that just, uh, you know, put us in the position to go to play the Islanders. And so when we got to the Islanders, and now the Islanders are really good. You know, they already won one cup the year before. And I knew we were strong underdogs, and, and uh, I was hoping we could feel the first one. And the, the, the day of the first game, I was sitting down having lunch with Tom Moore. And I wrote all these guys' names on the paper, and it was, I think, about 15 guys, 14, 15 guys. And I slid the paper toward them. I said, what do you know about these guys? He looks at what are you talking about? I said, what do you know about them? He said, these are all our players. I said, yeah, but what can you tell me about them? He said, I don't understand. I said, at one time or the other junior, you want to trade every one of those guys. And tonight they're all in the lineup. And I said, that's why yeah. I never, after a game, would allow coaches to talk about traits because you get so emotional mm-hmm. after a game and frustrated with a player or two and I walk in and say, you got to get rid of this guy or you got to get rid of that guy. You know? Right. Sure, yeah, he's so, mad. So we had a good laugh over that and uh, then we, we got to play the Islanders and first game we were really playing pretty well but then we took a uh, we took, uh, we got a power play we took a couple of penalties, Bush Coring I think we got two power play goals Two short-handed goals against our power play. Mm-hmm. And that changed the game. We were really playing pretty well at that point. And that was the game we needed to steal and wanted to steal. And, you know, they were they were a standing cup chance that it deserved to, to be there. And they had, at that time, a more experienced and, and, and better team. They were really deep. You know, they had Trotchy and Putnam and Bossy and Gillies and Billy Smith and you want know, to know that was that was a great hockey team that they had. But, you know, we we still thought we could compete. And we gave them some battle. We won one game back home. But they got game four, right? Yeah. And and, and we could have won the thing that bothered me. If you look at game three, mm-hmm. they're really playing well in game three. And we should have won that one. And I, and I believe it was, I thought it was a bad call we got a penalty against. And their goalie played really well and we didn't win that one. Well, that's how we could have won those two games. And there are three we didn't win four. Which uh, series, Louis, that you did win, in your mind, was the toughest? The Calgary series? Just to get through. Uh, no, I don't think so. I, I thought the, the Boston series was the toughest. Okay. Even though we won three straight. Because, I mean, we had the overtime game at first. Uh, they still were the Bruins. We had, you know, playing tough again. Uh Boston was a good team. They were really a good team. Really a good team. And we just played terrific then to, to get through. 
This might be a weird question, but did you take more satisfaction with the success of that team and getting to the finals, or did it bother you more that you lost in the finals? Oh, <laughs> it bothered me more we lost. You can never get over that. I mean, I can still remember sitting there after we got beat by the Islanders and thinking, what a great year, but holy Christmas, what are we going to go through to get to this point again to even play in the playoffs? Yep. And and you get to the point where you've got a chance to win the cup. You're actually in the finals, and it, it's just all consuming. At least for me, it was. It's all consuming. You just you just can't believe it. it's all. I would think about it all day long. Couldn't sleep at night just thinking about it and how close we were, how good we were, and, and do we have enough to win? Could we win? You you just you just can't get over that. You just I, I'm still not over it. I, you know I don't care that. Islanders were a great team here, a team that ran out four cups in a row then. I still <laughs> was hoping we could just get that one in there. You know, it's just, it's, it's amazing what it takes to win. I, I started seeing at that time the toughest trophy to win in sports. Yes. And I, I started that because it was four rounds. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and I was seeing on the radio and TV, I don't care who, what sport you're in to go four rounds and win this cup to the kind of intensity and play that goes on in the Stanley Cup playoffs, there's no tougher thing to win in sports. I, I mean, you go in the locker room when teams are playing in the Stanley Cup finals and you see what those guys have gone through for the other three rounds and they still got a battle in the fourth round. It's exhausting. It's so physical. It's so fast. It's it's just an unbelievable journey. So yeah. it did. So Lou, it didn't help though the the, the fact that I mean that, that was not a a fluky finals loss to an okay team. It, that was a great team. It didn't help it that, that in retrospect that club uh, did pull off four consecutive Stanley Cup uh, championships. No, it didn't help because we still had the chance. You know what I mean? And then and and did lose to Edmonton, and Edmonton was a phenomenal team, but. But you still think that if this happened, that happened. I mean, we were we were good. Mm-hmm. It's not like we, I, I, you know, next year we just sailed to our division championship and we got upset in the first round. Now, I'm thinking next year for sure we're going to win the cup. <laughs> yeah, because we we were good. We were really good. Yes, it's not like we were a bad team. We were really a good team. We were we were a terrific team. Mm-hmm. And then uh, that's what happens, and, and you get in these things and you get upset. Holy Christmas. I got a question. I got a question because you are as a superstitious a person as I know. If I'm not mistaken, the team that went to the finals in 81, that then into 81, 82, you guys changed the jerseys a bit. Did that bug you? Because I always thought, as a fan, I was always surprised that you approved that because your superstition to me would have said, we've got to keep the same jerseys that, that we wore in the Stanley Cup run. No, I, I, that as superstitious as I am, that didn't even cross my mind. Okay, because you, you know, you when you're playing, you wear white on the road at the time or at home and green away, and 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 we we always seem to be tweaking the jerseys in those days anyway, just for sales, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's it. They're still doing it, so uh, we were always constantly tweaking them a bit here and there. So that, that didn't bother me as much as, as it's what you do as an individual, your, 
your own process of getting ready for a game and and uh, your mindset is what you need to play well rather than the jerseys because, you know, we, we change jerseys, we change pants, we change gloves during the year, they all wear out. Sure. So that didn't, that didn't cross my mind. What was, um, especially in the playoff run, Give me one or two uh, classic stories about you when when you, you were the most ner- nervous and you know couldn't watch a game or had to duck out. What was that like going through? As you said, the most grueling thing that you can go through to try and win a championship trophy. Well, I remember coming up the elevator. In those days, the elevator came up into the observatory club at Met Center, and I came in, and then uh, I went to the press box. And the game started, and I started getting nervous, and I went right back to the elevator, and uh, I think it was Gordy Ritz's wife at the time, so I said, Louie, you okay? You sick? And I said, no, I, I just got to get out of here. And I went down the elevator, went in my office, and I just didn't even watch for a while. You know, to the crowd, and, and and you can imagine, ooh, ah, scoring, <laughs> and stuff like that, what I, I was going crazy with. And then uh, another story, I think it was the, the, the first series, maybe it was the Boston game, or it might have been in the second series. I had heard somebody told me there was real good luck if you found a core of toilet paper, you know, an empty core. So the, the rule has been used. Mm-hmm. You find a core of toilet paper, it's all been used up. So before the game, Met Center one time, I, I, one of those tough games, I went through the toilets, and I finally found an empty toilet roll, and I put it in my pocket. And, and we were having dinner in the observatory club with the guns, and they said, how do you feel about something? I said, I feel good. Said, good, that's good to hear. I said, yeah, I got my lucky toilet roll. I said, you know, and I pulled it out. And, and George said, what are you doing? I said, somebody said this is good luck, so I feel good about it. So we won the game. Well, the next day, the guns, the next game, the guns were looking for a toilet roll. It worked. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. What? Which round? Do you, do you recall which round that was? No, I can't recall. Oh, that's round. hilarious. Yes. So we all had toilet rolls in our pockets. <laughs> what did you feel like going through the first time, going through the bathroom, trying to find that damn empty toilet paper roll? It felt like I was on a mission. <laughs> I had to find it. Oh, that's great. Um... Among the most important things in that playoffs, probably, was was the emergence of Dino Cicerelli, who only played for for you after you signed him as a free agent in 32 regular season games, but then had the 14 goals in 19 playoff games. What was that like to see him not only join the club, but emerge and become such a force in that playoff run? Well, it was incredible. And I say that because not only is Dino a phenomenal scorer, Tremendous hockey player, and and he, as you said, he started the year down our farm team. So we bring him up in 32 games. He only starts scoring goals. The guy is electric and charismatic. So we had a player who was not only producing, but when he was producing and playing, he just got the crowd fired up. You know, there's there's just a handful of players that have that kind of charisma that can really have a crowd react to it. Mm-hmm. And and he was not only phenomenal on the ice, it's what he was providing to our fans to get them excited and, and get them so hyped up during the game. 
by his style of play and the way he played. And he was really, really an important factor of keeping the buzz in the arena and, and the fans hyped up just by the way he played. I don't think until uh, the Twins made their World Series run, Lou, in 87 too, I don't think I ever heard a building as loud as the Met was that spring. I have to tell you, I've never heard a building that loud. People don't don't understand what I'm saying. I remember before the first home game of the uh, Islander series, mm-hmm. and I was in my office, and it was 35 minutes before the game, and the crowd started cheering and chanting and yelling. It was like the building was going to have its roof blown off. I could not believe the sound I heard. I had to go out in the arena and just look and see. I couldn't believe I'd never been in a building before or since where I heard the, the decibel of noise. For you know, we could see fifteen thousand people all those days, and yeah. they made it was mind-boggling. What can you t- tell me? Too, I recall that as D- Dino got. Uh, hotter and hotter in that playoff run, the merchandise, including you, you guys must have gone to the Sinclair gas stations and gotten their failed dinosaurs. And yeah. did, do you recall? I bought one of those, the Dino the Dinosaurs, which I think everybody, were probably 10 bucks. And everybody hanging them over the glass. Yes. And, and it's like on fishing rods and stuff like that. And I, I, it, it, you know, I, I would love to see that same kind of situation happened today and that happened then the the hysteria about it mm-hmm. Dino Dino would make a fortune oh would make a fortune then can you imagine the kind of contract he was sign merchandise wise and marketing wise that they didn't do in those days it'd be crazy he'd make more than he'd be making on his contract I mean, it was unbelievable. The in- incredible thing, too, is I believe the only reason that you were able to sign him undrafted was he had shattered his leg in juniors, right? Right. He, he had a rod in his leg. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the year that he was coming up for the draft, the draft was was um, relegated back to just six rounds. When I first took over, before that, you could draft unlimited. In fact, my first draft, 1978, I'll never forget. We had 12 rounds. For sure, you stayed for 12. And then you had the right to draft further. And I'm leaving the building, and I still remember Neil Francis sitting there in Montreal, uh, St. Louis, uh, or New York Rangers pick. And he kept going and going. No, St. Louis. He was picking for St. Louis. And he picked like 25 players. And the only thing you had to do was like pay a thousand dollars a player, but you, you could pick how many you wanted. So sure. you just kept picking. Well, this year, the following year, he was, and the it was the first time I went to the eighteen-year-old draft. So it was combined. It was like two draft years in one, and they limited it to six rounds. And so when the sixth round was over, we were done, and we did those from our building. It was a phone draft. And I'm walking out of the room. We were upstairs in the press room where the uh, end of the press box was, and Harry Hall was head of scouting, and I'm walking, and I said, hey, Harry, I didn't hear that Cicerelli kid name going in here. Did I miss something? Did somebody draft me? He says, no. He says, Louis broke his leg. I said, so what? He said, well, he got a rod in his leg. 
the guy, and he says, I love that kid. I said, I got to find out. So I called Dino in his home, and I said, do you mind going to Toronto? I'll get a doctor to look at you. And he said, no. So I had him go to Toronto, and the guy's name was Charlie Bow was the doctor. He had been the doctor of the Canadian Olympic team when I played with the U.S. Olympic team in 68. Mm-hmm. And I got to know him. I said, Charlie, would you look at this kid and, and tell me if, if you think he could play? So Dino went there. Charlie called me back. He said, Louis, he's got to run. I was like, but you take it out. You know, it's not a problem. He could play. So I flew to, I flew to uh, Sarnia, where he lived, and, and his father, uh, and right from the little guy, and nice guy. And, and uh, so I fly there and, and talk to him and Dino, and his father brings up the homemade wine, and the salami, and, and, and then... The only, the only other guy interested, I they told me, was Scotty Bowman from Buffalo. And I said, hey, Mr. Cirelli, and, and actually I call him Chick Rally because I grew up across the street from <laughs> Mr. Rally, but the real pronunciation is Chick Rally. Mm-hmm. Mr. Chick Rally, I said, are you going to go with a Bowman, a non-Italian, instead of an Italian guy? He said, what are you going to do here? So I signed him for twenty five thousand on the spot. <laughs> that's genius. Yeah. So Oh, that's it, great. It turned out to be terrific for us and you know. And he chose to turn out to be a Hall of Fame player. Oh yeah. What so yeah. when when you called him up uh in the regular season of that year, what did you expect? I mean, did did you expect that, that he would start to score score quite a bit initially? Was there an expectation at all of what he could provide? Well, Immediately, I, I never mean. expect him to score the way he did. I expected him to score because this kid could score. I mean, the guy just had the capability of scoring goals, and, and I was hoping he could continue. He was doing it down in the minors, but he's still coming up to the NHL. So you, you, you're always hopeful that they can produce, but, uh, you know, I, I didn't expect him to score like he did. He, he still holds the, the, the scoring record for the playoffs by a rookie. Mm-hmm. So, he, uh, he had, I think it was 14 goals that year in the playoffs. It was unbelievable. I, I think, Lou, the other key guy that you brought in as well that year was uh, Don Bopre in goal, correct? Right, and he was at a, he's from Kitchener, but he played in Sudbury. Okay. And uh, and Gump liked him. Uh, he was a goaltender in Sudbury. And, and uh, you know, it was funny because I had five draft picks. I traded all these players, remember, when we put the teams together, so I traded all these players for draft picks and in the second round I had five picks I think that year and so uh, I'm looking and, and you know look at my scout flight and and they they really like Bopre and uh, Haruti as goaltenders now I can't remember where we were picking say we were picking uh, 15th and, and then Islanders pick 16th and then we pick 17th because the Islanders have got a pick in there so our plan at that time, I was going to pick both Bopre and Arudi. And the Islanders right in front of me picked Arudi. So we had both wow. goaltenders. That wouldn't have been too bad. Because no. cause, cause Malash and Gary, was it Gary Edwards, Edwards. had been the goaltenders the, the year before? And yeah. they were pretty tight, correct? And so then yeah. then you yeah. then you uh, brought Donnie in, and I think he, he was an all-star immediately, if I'm not mistaken, that uh, first year. Well, he was terrific. And, I mean, he was—he came in as an 18-year-old, and, 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 and I mean, he—he he was terrific in the playoffs. Donnie, Donnie, himself a fabulous career as a goaltender. 
So of, of the good uh, m- memories that you have from that run and that, that year, what's probably the one that uh, still stands out the most, do you think, Lou? As far as what? As far as just that, the special run and, and the fact that, that, that you guys did get to the finals that uh, spring. Well, it, it, it's playing in the finals. That, that's the highest I've ever been able to reach as a player or coach or manager. And, and uh, you know, the highs of the, winning the cup, and we got close. We, we, we lost in the finals. And, and to get there, you know, there's a lot of guys, a lot of great players who have Hall of Fame players that have played in the NHL with long careers never got to the finals. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so the next, so the next year, uh, when when you, you as you said had a very good team and got eliminated by the Blackhawks in the first round, as I recall, the slogan that year was "So close we can taste it." Right. Right. Mm-hmm. You're right. Did you like that slogan? Eh, I, I don't care. I mean, you know, the marketing got to sell tickets. They do what they want to do. I, 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 I actually felt that. I, you know, I'm not. I'm not saying that it wasn't accurate, I, but I had nothing to do with it. That, that's all marketing slogan. You know, I, I just run the hockey team. You know, the marketing department. They had somebody else running the organization. John was running the organization, and they got to sell tickets. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, advertising agency came up with it. I, I if you asked me, was it accurate? Yeah, because I could taste it. <laughs> Like I told you, being that close. Well, that team was that team was really good. That next we team, were, you're not. We really you're right. We were, we were really good. We were really good. And I, as, so, let me put it this way. Yeah. I I would say that we were as good a team as you know the, the Twins are the only ones that have won anything. Mm-hmm. But and the Vikings have got the you know four times they lost in the Super Bowl. But I would say our team. Uh, our hockey team was as good uh, a team in their sport as any other team has ever played in Minnesota professional team in their sport. In other words, yep. we were capable of winning too, like the Twins. It, it wouldn't have been a big surprise that we won the Cup the following year. One name for if, you. If you go back and if you go back and, and look at how many people picked us to win the Cup the following year, mm-hmm. you wouldn't believe it. One name, Louis Murray Bannerman. You got it. Don't worry. I know the name very well. I'm still sick about it. That so that sob as a as a young passionate North Stars fan, that sob stood on his head that entire series. Yeah, and you know what was really funny about that? The four division winners that year it was us, Montreal. I think the other one might have been Edmonton mm-hmm. and the Islanders. Three of us lost out in the first round, and the Islanders. Uh, get this: the Islanders are playing Pittsburgh in the first round, and they they go to Game Five in in uh, in the island. And I remember watching the game in the island. The I think his name was Hubbard Phil. I want to see Hubbard Bullard. Phil Bullard has a breakaway in overtime and hits the pipe, yeah. or the Islanders are out. I remember. The Islanders come back down and score, and he goes to win the cup. I remember Bullard. And and then and then the 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 real the real um, curveball in the entire thing is after playing the Flyers and you guys two good teams they got the Canucks. Yeah, that was a fluky year. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why. I mean, it's still a highlight for me. How far we got, and it's still a 
biggest disappointment in my life is that we never did win it. So I guess it, it's, you know, you get the best and worst of both worlds. All right, sir. Thanks much. Appreciate it, Lou. You take care, okay? Thanks. Nice talking to you. I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Yeah.